Hey everyone, this is the End Focus podcast. This is episode 120. I'm your host Andy Corrigan. With me, as always, is Andrew Brown. Hello, and Tori Wassana. Howdy, howdy, howdy. Uh, and this week we're gonna give our final thoughts on uh, Catherine. Uh, we're going to talk about story of seasons, friends of a mineral town, and we're going to give some uh, light impressions of uh, Paper Mario and the Origami King, because uh, I don't think any of us have really had a chance to get really stuck into that yet. So uh, yeah, so that's what's ahead. So let's just uh, jump right into it. Okay, I uh, finished Catherine uh, just the other day. Tori, have you finished it? Yes, I have. Well, one playthrough. Okay, cool. Uh, I'm I'm going back later. I noticed from our last discussion I was getting different questions to you. I don't know if that was based on my decision making. Oh, uh, it probably okay. was. Yeah. I did not get the kids' question at all. The other thing I wanted to talk about is I did get to some of the uh, yikes moments that we discussed briefly because you were ahead of me when we were talking about it last week. There was the uh, bit with Johnny where he says something about same-sex couples, which was a bit alarming. Uh, I think over the course of my playthrough, I'm, I'm conscious that we might have different scenes as well at this stage. He was definitely portrayed as a homophobe quite a lot in my playthrough. Yeah. Uh, whereas, you know, the others sort of... They don't really shut him down, although, although I think Vincent is the one who is more, you know, tolerant of that situation. And there was also uh, another bit, which is part of the new content, where uh, Vincent reacts quite transphobically at one point. Did you see this scene? Yes, I did. Cool. So the thing that struck me, aside from my initial shock, was that he, uh, in my playthrough, he at least, like, the second he reacted, he realised what he'd done and he tried really hard to put things right, even blowing off, like, things that were more pressing in terms of the story did that play out the same way for you yeah he was uh remorseful yeah and he yeah he he chased down the character in, in question and or, or was trying to and he you know he skipped out on like his fiance and all this sort of stuff to try and sort everything out i thought that was a good reaction and i i felt like they were getting at that um the bad reaction to make a point about how you should react or to make people think about it. That was my. That's what I get from the intent. He acted in an exaggerated way that the, I think the writers thought that the audience would react because when that was revealed, I was surprised yeah. as well. I'm definitely not, you know, trying to talk on behalf of trans people or of the the trans community. But uh, my my impression was they had an intent to make people think about their own reactions to that sort of thing, and I thought that came across pretty well. I don't know if either of you two are into Deadly Premonition at all. No. Yeah, so the sequel came out uh, last week, and the big story was that there's a, a trans character in it who um, the main character sort of comes to the defense of and does a big speech about you know being pro-trans and then uh, undoes it with some of the follow-up discussions where they, they dead-name the person and keep misgendering them. Which, you know, uh, the developer Swery has responded to and said that wasn't his intent and he's going to try and fix it to fit more along the lines of his vision, which is good. So this this Catherine situation that just struck me as like the inverse of that, where the bad thing happens and then the character tries to fix it rather than <laughs> deadly premonitions way. Yeah. Apart from that, I thought the, the game was really good. I enjoyed the story a lot. It did because it's, 
you know, the otherworldly stuff, I, I did feel it got a bit silly where I, th- I was hopeful some of the resolutions would play out in the real world rather than um, in the Persona style. Oh, yeah. That ending was very Persona-y. Yeah, completely Persona-y. Uh, you do fight God. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, so a good, good game overall, just a couple of caveats. Um, yeah, it, it is entirely possible that, like, the the Johnny situation that never, you know, no one ever shuts him down. Maybe that happens when other decisions are made. I don't know. I haven't also figured out who's a viable romance option or whether that's all set in stone. Yeah, I'm not sure yet either, especially with the way that it all plays out. Yeah. So the the reason I'm actually not playing it again is because my wife was watching it and was absorbed the whole time and wants to play it and do different selections. So, oh, fair enough. I, I definitely recommend it. Just a couple of caveats that it touches on some tough subjects. Some it deals with well, some it doesn't even try to acknowledge. So. Not much Switch news this week other than Donkey Kong Country landed on the uh, Nintendo Switch online app, one of the best platforms ever made. Uh, I, I think it still holds up pretty well. Andrew, did you jump into this? I think I saw you playing it. Yeah, I beat it. It's okay. It's not the greatest. Tropical Freeze is still my favourite in that series. Yeah. Still light on news, still waiting for a direct, still waiting for any sort of announcement on what Nintendo stuff we can expect before the year's out. Um, still no clear idea on how COVID has affected those uh, development schedules or their production schedules. Hopefully we'll get something soon, but we can talk about the other things we've played. So, Andrew, you weren't expecting to play this, but the uh, publishers were kind enough to send us a code for it, and my history with this genre is not particularly good, so you took it on. Uh, that was Story of Seasons, Friends of Mineral Town, which I believe is a remake of a Harvest Moon GBA game. Well, that's complicated. Let's talk about that. Yeah, uh, please talk about that, because I am forever confused about what is happening with this series. <laughs> Let's do a, a brief history of this series, because I like this stuff. If we go all the way back in time, 25 years ago now, when Andy and I were still kids, uh, there was a game that came out for the Super Nintendo called Harvest Moon, which was a farming game where you inherit a farm from your grandfather, and you move there, and it's really run down. It's not a great farm, but over the years, over the in-game years, you, you build it up into being this really successful independent farm that makes a lot of money and you ingratiate yourself with the town and you get married to one of the women who lives in the town and it, it was a really unique game for the time even though now it, that description probably sounds familiar to you now if you've been following indie games lately but I'll get to that later but that game saw a sequel on the Nintendo 64 called Harvest Moon 64 uh, which made the game look better, obviously, and really beefed up the systems and beefed up the relationship systems, so it became much more of a social sim, whereas the first game, you, you just talked to people and things just happened. It wasn't much of a social sim. Now, Harvest Moon 64 was very difficult to find, especially in the West. It just it didn't get many copies made but they made a port of it for PlayStation 1, and that game ended up being called Harvest Moon Back to Nature, because when the port started, the series creator was involved in that port, but then he had to go away and do something else, as I understand it, and the team that remained working on the port kind of remade the game into this entirely new thing. It was still the same basic idea, but 
the characters and the layout of the town were redesigned, uh, but this was the game that became iconic as far as, you know, what Harvest Moon is and what people think of when they think of the Harvest Moon series. Back to Nature on the PlayStation 1 is is kind of the start of what the series really built its reputation on. A number of years after that, there was actually another remake of Back to Nature called Harvest Moon Friends of Mineral Town on the Game Boy Advance, which was, again, the same basic game, but it was redesigned with more uh, sprite graphics, versus the graphical style that was on the PlayStation 1. That was followed by a half-sequel called More Friends of Mineral Town, which actually let you be a woman and let you romance some bachelors instead of bachelorettes. From the reading I've done in this past week, it sounds like Friends of Mineral Town is where this series popularity, you know, really built itself with with kids today who, who think back fondly on the Harvest Moon series. They think of Friends of Mineral Town. Fast forward 10 years from Friends of Mineral Town, there are a lot of sequels and a lot of spin-offs for the Harvest Moon series, including Rune Factory, which is probably their most successful spin-off. It's still continuing to this day. Rune Factory 4 is out on Switch, and Rune Factory 5 is in development right now. But there was a bit of an issue with the name, <laughs> and uh, this is where the confusion, I think, comes up with Andy, what Andy was talking about a mm-hmm. few minutes ago. As I understand it, the developer wanted to change who was doing the localization in the u.s um i think it was natsume who was doing the localization for the western release and that was where the name harvest moon came from and natsume still Mm -hmm. had the trademark on the name harvest moon now the harvest moon games still developed by the original developer and still following that line of succession is now called story of seasons which i, I think is it's just a terribly generic name it's not a good name mm-hmm. i like i think harvest moon was a much better name but now since natsume still held the harvest moon trademark in the west they have developed their own harvest moon sequels which are are not as well regarded uh from what i understand there is a harvest moon game on switch but if you if you're Wanting to get sunk into this long-running series, the Story of Seasons games are are what you really want to be playing. The one that was just released this past week on Switch is Story of Seasons Friends of Mineral Town. It's a remake of the Game Boy Advance games, also called Friends of Mineral Town, that incorporates both halves of the original remake and its pseudo-sequel, More Friends of Mineral Town. So you can play as a man or or a woman, and all of their romance options are available here in one package. This is really weird how... So it's Harvest Moon, Friends of Mineral Town, and then the remake is Story of Seasons, Friends of... That is so weird. In summary, everything I just described, Story of Seasons, Friends of Mineral Town is a remake of a remake of a heavily altered port of a sequel to the original Harvest Moon. Did you follow that? Are you okay? <laughs> Just about. The nearest analogue for me is the uh, Football Manager games, mm. sorry, where originally developer Sports Interactive, they had the Championship Manager series and were with a different publisher. Uh, they split off to join Sega and they, they cut a deal where they could keep the engine and all the mechanical stuff they'd worked on and gave it a new name, which became Football Manager, which itself is the license from a really, really old Football Manager game, and then the original publishing company kept the Championship Manager games going, and they were not as good. <laughs> it's, it's just the same situation applied with a farming game instead of a, a football game. Oh. 
God, it's like the Zelda timeline. Legal rights are just so... They're such a, a headache. <laughs> yeah. If you're not familiar with Harvest Moon, or if you're not familiar with Story of Seasons, or if you're not familiar with that other game that I'm going to talk about in a minute, um, <laughs> these games have kind of collectively come to be called farm sims, even though they're really not farm sims. Like... Uh, if you think about literally the game called Farming Simulator, it's not as hardcore and in-depth as that. Really what these games more are more like are time and resource management games with some social sim elements. Now, farming is a big part of all of these games. You inherit a farm from your grandfather, and you have this big empty plot of land at the start of the game that's just filled with weeds and twigs and old stumps and stones and you got to break all those things down so you actually have room to plant some crops and once you've done that then you can water them every day and after a few days they'll grow because the, the timeline is really sped up in the farming sim genre then you'll have some crops you can sell those to get some more money rinse and repeat and once you have more money then you can splurge on more things for your farm and really expand on what kind of farm you have versus you know at the start where you're just growing like nine turnips uh, that's that's the basic idea of it in addition to you know growing and harvesting crops you can also sell livestock and the produce the livestock produces if you want you can completely redevelop your farm to focus on that entirely it, it's really up to you there's there's some flexibility in what you want to do there and time is a big part of this because time is always going by so a lot of the game is trying to determine what you have time to do in a single day i i've really been pushing myself on my farm in the past week I haven't timed out exactly how long each day is but 10 to 15 minutes seems to be about how long each day lasts I've been growing so many crops that I, I have not had time to water them on some days uh, that are, have gotten too busy. And in addition to managing your time, you know, trying to cram as much in a day as you can before it gets to be nighttime and you have to go to sleep. Otherwise, if you don't go to sleep on time, you'll wake up the next day with less of the next resource, which is stamina and fatigue. Because every action that you do does drain a tiny little bit of your stamina. And when you run out of stamina, you, you can't do anything anymore. Um, you can, but there, there are additional penalties if you do that. So it, it's best just to, just to stop when your stamina hits zero. And there are things you can do during the day to restore your stamina. Like once your farm gets more developed, you can get a kitchen in your farmhouse. And you can actually cook the things you've been producing to get your stamina back. Or you can go to the hot spring and just sit in the hot spring, and that restores 10 stamina at the rate of 10 in-game minutes. Again, that eats into your time resource every day. No matter what you're doing in the game, that, that's kind of what you're doing, is you're trying to balance the amount of time that you're spending and the amount of stamina it costs you to do it to accomplish the most that you can in one day. And everything you're trying to accomplish is all farm-themed stuff. One way that you can really improve how well you're using your stamina and how well you're using your time is by upgrading your tools. Uh, the better your tools are, then the more they can do for a lower stamina cost and for a lower time cost. Like at the start, your watering can, you can water one square after you upgrade it then you can, it's sort of like a charge attack, and you can actually water three squares at once, which costs a little more stamina than one action for one square, but it actually 
as a net costs you less stamina and it also costs you less time. So upgrading your tools is a big part of increasing the amount that you can do in one day. At the start of my first year in spring, just using the basic watering can, I could barely, you know, do like six fields of crops, six little three by three grids of crops. Uh, and now in fall with my much better upgraded watering can, I have 16 actually. Uh, that I'm doing, which takes most of the day every day, but I'm managing to do it and the profits have been worth it. Each year is divided into four seasons. There are 30 days in a season and what there is available to grow changes to season to season, uh, except for in winter where you can't grow anything. So winter is, is really your time to chop down some trees and smash some rocks and visit the mine to get the rare resources. That way you can really upgrade your farmhouse and your farmland and your tools. Now the other part of the game is making friends and romancing the bachelors and bachelorettes in the town. And this this eats more into your time than into your stamina because it takes a lot of time to run all over the town talking to everybody, but it doesn't actually cost you any stamina, which which is a nice quality of life feature because if you've used up all your stamina, you can at least still develop relationships with people in town. Every member of the town has a relationship meter that you can build up by either talking to them every day or giving them gifts every day. And I'll, I'll talk a little bit more about the gifts in a second because they, they, uh, <laughs> they get creepy. But anyway, but then some of the people in the town are your bachelors and your bachelorettes, and they can be further enticed to want to date your character and eventually marry your character, and then they move to your farm, and then you have a kid. How that happens is you basically have to memorize the schedule of the person that you want to marry, and you have to follow them all over the town and talk to them a lot, and you have to give them gifts every day to build up that meter in the background <laughs> that's represented by a heart on the character that changes color the more they like you. Basically, you're stalking this person. Like it, it's, <laughs> It makes sense from a game side of understanding things like a game design side especially in the simulation sim which is so often really just pictures representing numbers that you're building up but it, it's mm -hmm. super creepy here if you think about it too much it, it, it yeah. really represents romance as this very transactional thing and there are cutscenes that you unlock as you develop the romance that actually show these characters spending time together and getting to know each other and going out on what could be interpreted as dates or maybe you're just interacting with them around their family you know things that look much more like what a real relationship with another person looks like but really most of the game is finding out what this person likes and then pursuing them at all hours of the day and just forcing them to take this thing they like and they never refuse i, I could definitely understand somebody complaining that some of the people out there who have questionable understandings of <laughs> what dating a person is like if maybe they learned that behavior from this i could understand that criticism i don't think it's quite that bad <laughs> it's a video game i think people understand it's a video game this is not meant to represent real dating it's a very abstracted interpretation of of dating and romance but the criticism is there and i i appreciate it the game is technically never ending. If you want to quote unquote beat the game and see the credits, you have to play for two in-game years and 
your grandfather's spirit, or actually maybe in this game it's the mana goddess who visits you, I'm not sure. Some supernatural force will visit you at the end of the second year, and they will grade your farm based on how much you've developed it, uh, how much money you've made, and whether or not you got married and had a kid in that time. And if you're able to do all of these things, you're able to balance all that time management and all that resource management to build a really successful farm and build a really successful life then you'll get a number of different endings and a number of different grades and that's how the game ends but no matter what grade you get you wake up the next day on year three and the game just continues for as long as you care to play it which i i I like because unless you're really really good at min maxing even after the two years are up there's still a lot of stuff that you will not have even begun to explore yet as for the remake itself the graphics are probably the most notable thing to talk about like because like the game itself mostly the same as it was on playstation 1 and mostly the same as it was on game boy advance but it's been completely redesigned from a graphical standpoint character models are reproduced in polygons while remaining faithful to the original sprite art They look pretty good for what they were trying to achieve here. And each character is represented by just this this massive portrait. It takes up like half the screen. Uh, But some of the character designs here I felt leaned very young looking. That's definitely just the style of the character designer. But it didn't always work for me. Like one bachelor, like that you're seriously, you're supposed to consider this person as a serious romance candidate that you're going to have a kid with one day <laughs> appears to be about 10 years old so that I, I had a i had a problem being immersed in the game at that point when i encountered that character yeah i saw you screenshots of that that bachelor yeah. um and yeah part of me wonders if it's just with like the gba graphics was it like you know the the old top-down zelda you know like basic sprites with the big eyes yeah they're trying to expand on that and it you know that inherently makes things look younger or more cartoony i think so but like i was also i was doing some research on the older games in the series especially the rune factory games from what i've read apparently this is a criticism that some people have had about several characters in this series like that kid is 10 years old you should not date them but anyway uh, and I, i completely skipped over this this bullet point but uh this is very important all potential partners are available to both genders here, and there's no lame best friend ceremony for the same-sex couplings. You are getting married. Yeah, I remember when we first talked about a game you're going to mention in a second, you had that as a criticism that like your success was you know, always based on whether you married someone of the opposite gender, so it's good. Really? Good to see that they fixed that. Yeah, I'm sure you said that. I don't remember saying that. Stardew Valley is very good about that. No, sorry, I'm I'm not about in relation to Stardew. I'm on oh. about um, specifically the older games. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. In this yeah. series, the older yeah. games were very heteronormative, but I, I think Stardew yeah. Valley that was like one of the big things in Stardew Valley since it was a successor series to Harvest Moon, but it had same-sex relationships and everything was available in one package. You didn't have to buy the boy version of the game or the girl version of the game. The game just was. It was one package. I think Stardew Valley success is a big reason why Story of Seasons is the way it is now. But also, going back to the graphic discussion, which is what I I was supposed to be talking about, there's a very poor use of space here. This, again, might be related to being based on 
older games, especially a PlayStation 1 era game, but everything feels so overlarge and forgettable. There's huge buildings. Like, each building is two or three screens long. The characters are not that big. Like, they look like ants inside these rooms. It just makes all the spaces feel really empty. And when you're outside, like, there are long, empty pads with just nothing to look at. Now, a lot of this is the time resource management part of the game. Like, it's supposed to take you a while to walk around but there are ways to do that without just having long, empty hallways just filled with completely generic trees. But that is, that's the uh, the choice they went with. I'd forgotten about this. This came roaring back this week because I've been sinking myself into this game. This is a very difficult game to just play one in-game day at a time. Like There's something civilization mm-hmm. players talk about where they, they struggle with... Uh, just playing just one more turn. It's like, just one more turn. And then three hours later, you're still playing the same round of Civilization. I had the same thing here. There was a, a day last week where it was like 10 p.m. is like, I'm pretty tired. I think I'll just do one or two days in Story of Seasons. Then I'll go to bed for the night. And at 3 a.m. I was still playing. Because <laughs> <laughs> it, it's just built that way. Like I said, each day is 10 to 20 minutes long. So it's super easy to go, eh, I'll just play one more day. And then five hours later you're still there (laughs) (laughs) now do i recommend this game the price for being what it is like this is a very faithful remake of a playstation one game of a game boy advance game and this is a 50 dollar game and that's kind of hard to swallow with stardew valley which is this game and more like stardew valley has a lot more features and a lot more content to it and it's continuing to receive updates which are completely free over time and it has multiplayer and it costs 15 dollars and and this is a highly biased personal preference as as revealed with all the retro games i've been playing lately but i think stardew valley's 16-bit inspired graphics look much better than this game does this game looks very plain very boring i just i i prefer stardew valley over and over and over in this but there is the nostalgia factor if you've played Harvest Moon Back to the Nature, or if you played Harvest Moon Friends in Mineral Town, I think you would still get something out of this, because it's a very faithful remake, but remade with more options as far as your romances, and with more modern graphics, and it's in high definition, it's on the Switch, which is great for portable play. I think if you were a fan of the older series, and you played them, I think you might still get something out of this, but if you're a new player to the farming sim genre, Stardew Valley, all the way. That That's that's my feelings about this, but it does have me hooked. I'm going to keep playing it to the standard ending, at least, and it's got me interested in Rune Factory 5, which I was completely ignoring up until now. Now, when Rune Factory 5 comes out, I'm going to be playing it, because... This has totally got me back into the the, the company is called Marvelous who makes it and it's gotten me totally back into into their version of of the farming sim. I love the switch for how many genres that I'd sort of fallen off uh, that I've revisited just because something's appeared on on this platform and it's just sparked off a whole thing for me. There's like racing games, platformers, the whole the whole jazz. My problem with with these games is completely just frozen by choice. Mm-hmm, so uh, mm-hmm. when when Stardew hit Switch, like famously, I I must have played like an hour or two, and I just could not understand what I was meant to be doing. If what I was doing was the right thing, the whole seasonal thing just stresses the hell out of me, uh, and I just bummed out because I couldn't couldn't be bothered doing that and just you know played something I knew. Well, there's no right or wrong. Like in Stardew Valley, 
there's no right or wrong. If you want to just do fishing and make all your money from fishing, you can do that. If you want to grow crops, you can do that. Story of Seasons is a little more guided. Like there's a TV you can watch that has a number of things that change every day. And it has an educational mm-hmm. channel on it. And like if you just follow along with the educational channel, it'll ease you into the game very easily like at the start it'll go from mm-hmm. crops and then it'll introduce you to chickens then it'll introduce you to cows like and if you just focus on what the educational channel is talking about then that will ease you step by step into the game rather than overwhelming you with choices yeah the, the one i've seen that i think would fit me best would be graveyard keeper i've watched my wife play that and that you know the seasonal stuff yeah. is not really a factor in there but it's also like super grindy yeah graveyard keeper it definitely fits in in with stardew valley and with harvest moon and story of seasons but it, it ultimately is a, a very different game especially in the way it handles time and like the farm mm-hmm. is there but it's not really the focus of the game you can completely ignore the farm and you can still get by in graveyard keeper Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, Graveyard Keeper is another outlet into this genre if that's the road you have to take. Yeah. Yeah, you got any experience with Harvest Moon or, or this genre at all, Tori? Uh, I played Stardew Valley on the Switch for uh, Review for Vooks. Oh, yeah. It's not really my type of thing. I can see the appeal, but uh, yeah, choice paralysis is a, a big issue with games like this for me. It's just certain genres I get it with and others I don't. Like, I'm fine with a big open world with a million and one things to do. I'm fine with choices that eliminate a whole storyline and things like that. But for some reason, I just, I get to these and go, there. Yeah. Never had that issue with other stuff. So, yeah. Um, just before we move on to the other games, uh, I'd sort of, I got a bit turn-based strategy gamed out. So I've, I've abandoned uh, Chroma Squad for a little bit. Uh, and I was trying to find something just uh, quick and easy to play on my light for bedtime, so I, I had grabbed Sushi Strikers for like un- under ten dollars the other week. I put that in. I played it for like two hours and just decided it wasn't for me. Mm. The the story did nothing for me, and the the puzzling is okay, but you can tell it's absolutely geared for a touchscreen. Yeah, like the physical controls are awful. I played the demo Ooh. on Switch, and I was like, "This is clearly a 3DS game that's been ported to Switch." Yeah, so so that got thrown out, uh, and now I'm playing Puzzle Quest Remastered instead. Uh, I'm not far enough into that to really cover it. I'm still in like the the training missions because I'm just playing it, you know, ten minutes before sleep, sort of thing. Should we move on to the big release this week, which, uh, as we said last week, would just be uh, early impressions. Uh, we're all at different stages of the opening. I was playing it all this afternoon. Uh, my controller died, so then I, I came in to play it in my other room where my spare dock is, and that controller died too, so I just gave up at that point. Paper Mario and the Origami King. This is uh, the latest in the Paper Mario series. I think it's important that we all describe our... Uh, history with this franchise <laughs> i have none uh Neophyte. so this this is my first paper mario and i think uh, andrew i know you're a big fan of uh, thousand year door which is the one everyone points to as to what they want paper mario to be and i get the impression that you know where a lot of people are falling where they're falling on this one is basically based on their experiences historically uh tori have you played any paper marios i've played them all since Super Paper Mario and the Wii. Oh, okay. Uh, was that a popular one? It's very divisive. 
Um, I loved it. It's not as divisive as the the most recent one, Paper Mario's, though. No. At the time it was, but now it's, like, kind of on the edge of that golden age of the classic Paper Mario fans. Yeah, I think the classic Paper Mario fans are like, it's a good game, it's just not what we wanted. Whereas, (laughs) I think uh, you could fairly describe sticker star and color splash as bad games which are definitely not what we want i think is is the general reaction from people who've been playing since a nintendo 64 game uh let me just run by my impression of what the series was so the the early ones were absolutely rpgs um and then the recent ones have been not rpgs and this one fixes apparently a lot of problems that people have had with the previous games but not the rpg element is that right yeah Yeah. (laughs) mostly yeah (laughs) i the general impression i've been getting from the reactions i've seen just over the past few days because it's it's saturday night for me and this came out yesterday so there there hasn't been a lot of time Mm -hmm. that people have spent with the game uh but the general impression has been the combat system is okay which is an improvement over the combat systems in Sticker Star and Color Splash, which were bad. So, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, so I'm still at the stage where it's humoring me with ridiculously easy boss fights. Well, let, let, let's explain the opening and the, the premise of the game, and then, then we'll move on to the, the combat stuff later. This seems to be a multiverse version of Mario, where he's made out of a flat piece of paper, uh, him and Luigi are invited to some celebration at Princess Peach's castle. They get there, everyone's mysteriously missing, uh, and then they get locked up in the basement, and there's some weird stuff going on. We've got in the notes here, I think these are Andrew's notes, the opening is pretty horrific uh, surprise, and weird, and I completely agree with that. I thought it was pretty dark. <laughs> well, that definitely echoes Color Splash, which also has... It's not really terrifying like or scary deliberately so but if you put yourself in the position of being a person who's made out of paper then it is horror Mm -hmm. because in this game there's the origami king who is taking these characters who are made out of paper and is folding them into these new origami shapes that like brainwashes them and forces them to be like mm-hmm. worshippers of him and serve in his army and that happens to princess peach too which is the scariest thing when you see the way she acts and the way she talks and in color splash <laughs> had that too because in color splash you had like vampire enemies who would stick straws in the paper characters and suck the paint out of them so like like it, it's funny from our perspective but if you put yourself in the position of being this paper character it's actually like horror movie stuff yeah it's it's oh, yeah. oddly unsettling with the two the two tones yeah they're, they're leaning into it as well like it, it's meant to be to us it's framed as a horror thing and then of course it's just paper so it's not actually scary and i think that's where a lot of the humor comes from as well yeah, on the humor, because obviously no experience with this this series, like I was completely floored by how sharp and witty the writing is in this game. Uh, I love it you so You really far. need to play Thousand Year Door. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Some of my early highlights, so these aren't really spoilers, these are just from the opening, but uh, some of my favorite parts of the jokes uh, thus far is Luigi parking the, the cart so he doesn't have to pay a valet. The bit where they first get locked in the castle and Luigi runs to the door and he's he's like, you know, what good's a door if it's locked and I can't get through it? I know what I do in this situation usually. I turn to Mar- 
who's uh, <laughs> with him in traps as well. Just just that realization that he just turns to Mario for help all the time, and then <laughs> Mario's stuck with him. And then my absolute favorite was the uh, Goomba, that's like a complete fanboy of Mario, and he's like, "Yo, huge fan, and, and I can't wait to get stomped by you later." And, <laughs> yeah, and he's really excited to meet a Toad because he's never met a Toad yeah. before. And then at the end of the introduction. <laughs> he gets origamied into part of the origami army and he, he still has enough semblance of his former self that he's really mournfully saying, I still haven't met a toad, which is, you know, <laughs> funny, but also horrific. <laughs> yeah. And then he's also the first one you fight, which is also kind of sad. The writing is, is, is so sharp. I'm, I'm, I think that's been my favorite aspect so far. Uh, the first proper area you're going to is called the whispering woods. And as you're walking through the, the, the trees are talking about you um, and one of them goes uh, is that a mustache and another one goes who's he trying to kid <laughs> <laughs> I actually really like that part because they yeah. react to what you're doing as well yeah he's just going around hitting stuff that's what not very green doing? don't give him a hint <laughs> yeah yeah so so that aspect has been superb I, I'm definitely not deep enough into the systems to to say you know do they work or not in context, but I, I can talk a little bit about it. The combat kind of plays out a little JRPG-ish. You, you touch an enemy, it takes you into a circular arena, and here the fights play out more of a puzzle. There's a, a big circular arena, it's split into rings, uh, and when the enemies jump on, they'll sort of scatter around, so you've, you've got this uh, countdown, so you've got time to sort of maneuver these rings so you can get the enemies in place to best take advantage of your area of attack for each of your moves. To begin with, at the moment, I've only got the jump and the hammer. So the jump, if you've got all four enemies in a row, uh, Mario will jump down them all. If you've got the hammer, you can set them up in a, a block of four in front of you, and that helps with the strategy element. You can also do like a more powerful attack with timed button presses. It's not really let me run free with that at the moment it's not really at a challenging point i know both of you are a little ahead of me at different stages so i assume that gets more involved pretty soon it kind of jumps up pretty rapidly uh like one or two zones ahead of where you are okay yeah and i've not seen any rhyme or reason as to when it gives you two moves and two attacks i think it's how mm. many lineups you do it's how mm. many groupings you need to make when you're solving the puzzle because every turn all the enemies semi-randomize themselves on the board and you're supposed to shift the squares they're standing on around this circle by sliding mm -hmm. them up and down or rotating the ring around how many moves you can make and uh, how many action commands you can make depends upon uh, how many groupings you're supposed to ultimately have if you successfully solve mm. the puzzle which Every so often, I find one that I'm like, what the heck am I supposed to do here? I can't figure this out. But for the most part, I've been able to solve the puzzles. The timer is a worry for when it gets a bit more involved. It'll give you an option to spend coins to buy mm -hmm. time, literally. Oh, okay. Which is which is oh, part of the cool. reason the game force feeds you th so many coins. And this is a common thing in the Paper Mario series, really. Color Splash did that too. It just gives you thousands and thousands mm -hmm. of thousands of coins because it wants you to spend them. Mm-hmm. Just on the coins thing, I think I had 10,000 coins before I could even spend any. <laughs> I gather in this 
because you know the the old games are RPGs. This one kind of isn't. You don't really get any experience from the no. battles, other than you only get coins, which is you know you use that to to buy time or other items. I'm assuming at some point. Yeah, um, later on you can buy like powered up versions of your basic tools because your basic tools are your boots and your hammer, mm-hmm. like Andy said, but. Mm-hmm. After a while, you'll need, like, iron boots. That way you can jump on enemies that have spikes on them that would, will stub <gasps> Mario's toe if he tries to jump on them. And you can buy just more <laughs> powerful hammers. Uh, but these have limited numbers of uses on them. So, uh, okay. like, this is, again, echoing something that was in Color Splash. It's a refinement on that system. But Color Splash, you had cards that let you use each ability, but each card you could only use once. So, like, a big part of the game was getting a lot of coins. That way you could go back to town and buy more cards just so you could attack which was really dumb and like literally the final boss i lost on the final boss because i ran out of cards and there was not really any way to attack if you didn't have cards there was this roulette system but like literally that was your only option if you had no attack cards was you had to play roulette to determine if you were even going to deal damage that turn and then it wasn't that much damage (laughs) Let me steer steer me away from how much how bad color splash was, but anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I need the context so you, yeah. you can go. Th- thank goodness this game just has boots and hammer, which are basic tools, and there are some enemies that like your basic boots won't work on, but you at least have something to work with at all times because your basic mm. tools never break. Broadly on the combat, uh, I'm enjoying it so far. I, I do like the fact it's a puzzle. Uh, rather than, you know, traditional turn-based combat thing, because that, that's what I was expecting, you know, with the series history. Uh, yeah. Or what I more what I'd heard about it. A common thread I'm seeing in reviews of people who have played the entire game, a common thread in all these reviews is complaining that the puzzles started to get repetitive after a while because solutions started repeating themselves and it's the same basic thing from beginning to end Mm -hmm. and it does mix things up a little bit with some of the enemy varieties you run into but at the end of the day all you're really trying to do is either line enemies up into a row of four or into a two by two i mean that that's the entire combat system and i'm I'm concerned i'm going to feel the same way as them i'm going to get to the end of this game and i'm just going to be sick of solving these puzzles (laughs) puzzles <laughs> yeah and the, the other thing i saw was that without uh experience points or other systems built in around that a lot of the time you can actually if you've got enough coins you you can just yeah. run away like avoid fighting altogether towards the end because it doesn't really benefit you in any way that was a thing in color splash and that was a thing in sticker star too like sticker star it was especially bad in that game it was like the people who made it didn't even understand the point of having rpg combat systems And Sticker Star, there was no reason to fight any enemy in that game. If Mm -hmm. you could avoid them, do it. The other thing is, you're not just limited to enemies. You know, in in this combat system, there are other enemies that take place uh, where the fights take place in the actual overworld. There are paper mache Goombas walking around, destroying the scenery, which is another mechanic we'll we'll talk about very briefly. They're called paper mache. Ah, and uh, you have to hit them in a weak spot, and then that triggers a fight, and then you can destroy them. That was interesting that they they brought some of these fights outside of that combat system too, I think just to make the, the exploration side of things a bit more interesting. This game boasts an open world. Yeah. yeah. But in the early part, the story kicks you out into this whispering woods, and you work through, uh, and then you get back to the Toad Town, which 
is what I'm guessing is kind of like a hub, mm-hmm. and that's where you'll go off and tackle each of the main story threads from there. The exploration itself, I'm enjoying a lot. It's pretty linear so far, with you know, there's there's certain paths to to go off and find things. Uh, as I just mentioned, these uh, paper mache enemies are destroying the scenery, so you, there's like holes you'll need to fill in. You can see the the wireframes for the construction underneath it, which I, I liked a lot. There's lots of little hidden cool things to do and find. Uh, there's lots of toads in trouble that are, have been like mildly assaulted or, or folded into other things that you can find and help. So like some of the early ones, they're disguised as bugs. So you use your hammer to knock them down a bit and then hit them to unfurl them. Others are just crumpled and you need to hit them with the hammer to, to flatten them out. Actually, use the hammer a lot. <laughs> and this it also gives you some paper-based actions so the first thing that it gives you is a thing called the thousand fold arms so mario gets these like telescopic folded arms i don't know how you describe this without being able to see it it's like one of the first things you make when you're in primary school or whatever yeah it's kind of like a spring yeah like paper spring now first action i did after doing the first instance of this was to turn motion controls off. Yeah, me too. Uh-huh. Because <laughs> that was just annoying. And it's, like, objectively better doing it with the controls. I don't know about that. I did it because I'm playing with the Pro Controller. I haven't done it all with the Joy-Con, yeah. so I, I can't speak to what the motion controls are like with the Joy-Con. I was doing it with the Pro Controller. It, it's just, it just feels weird to be... It's a bit clunky. Yeah, but with those, you can uh, interact with the environment to sort of, you know peel back bits of paper to push things over to pull uh, levers and stuff but you can only do it at defined points uh, there's an icon on the ground that indicates that you can do this this thing i imagine there'll be other uh, circles uh, other abilities that will unlock as we go through i'm assuming there'll be like a gimmick for, e- for each area yeah i'm i'm up to the next kind of circle but i have to unlock the power to do it well that's good to know at least it mixes that up a bit there are also the the holes that i mentioned earlier you actually need to c- collect confetti to uh, fill them in with you, you get like a confetti bag that you can keep topped up the confetti you get from like hitting things with the mallet like i said there's a lot of hitting things with mallets in this game that uh i'm worried is going to get old real quick it does yeah uh, and it seems that each area has a number of holes to fill if you if you're a completionist. Yeah, like the holes, they don't they don't add anything. Like if you've ever played like a Metroid game and you've ever gotten to the final area and there's still doors that are locked by missiles, and you've ever wondered why do I need mm-hmm. missiles to open this door when I needed uh, another special ability from a boss you can't fight till the very end of the game just to get here what is the point of this missile door what does this add except added time that's very much the same thing with the not bottomless holes like there are holes in the scenery Mm -hmm. that you have to fill in with confetti and you have to make sure you have enough confetti to fill in the holes so you have to either go fight enemies because they drop a lot of confetti when they when you win the battle or you got to go beat on trees make it drop confetti and if you want 100% completion in each area you've got to find all the holes and fill them all in and like some of them give you coins which is is nice but it just it feels like filler yeah literally filler (laughs) sometimes it's to solve puzzles sometimes it's to progress but it really just gets in the way yeah there's a lot of pointless pointless holes 
but the, you know I've, I've hit one or two where it's hidden a path or an item or something but that was one of my first concerns was i hope i don't have to do this throughout the entire game so well yeah <laughs> as always with mario there's always question blocks uh, it wouldn't be a Mario game without them, so there's plenty of those hidden around. Again, all I'm getting mainly is coins. I've got a few items which I had to rehydrate in the the spring in the woods and not had cause to use them yet. So there's a fire flower. I think you can use that in combat instead of doing the line jump. I have not once used a fire flower. Yeah. I've got like twelve. I've got like twelve <laughs> of them now. I've never used one. I actually ended up using uh, on spinies when I accidentally lined them up instead mm, of yeah. did them in a, like a hammer block. Yeah. I could see that. I might have done that too, but I've I've not had a reason to use a fire flower, so I just haven't. Yeah. Uh, so we've got in the notes here, companions uh, are not there yet. I assume you get party members because there's an option for it in the, the menu. Yeah, and, it, and party members are a, a long-standing Paper Mario tradition. He's always got somebody with him, but uh, sounds like you two haven't gotten that far yet. No. 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 I met uh, Bob Omb, who is that's that's his name. His name is Bob Omb, and he's a Bob Omb, and he, he kind of sits in the middle circle with Mario. And at the end of every turn, he will attack one enemy for twenty hit points, which in this game is a lot, but it it's oh, it's nice. one enemy. So <laughs> Bob Omb is explicitly like his character is is he's lazy, so. A lot of the times he's actually sleeping instead of attacking. <laughs> he, he hasn't been a very impressive <laughs> RPG companion. Uh, I imagine you'll get more as you progress. I would be surprised if you didn't. Well, why, why would it have a whole menu option for it if you didn't? Yeah, the toads also... Uh, sorry, the should double back on that. So you, you help these toads. The more you collect, the more benefits they can give you in combat. They can cheer you on. Uh, I haven't had calls to use it. I've used it a couple times. Actually, I really like this. This might be my my favorite thing in the game, like, is collecting the toads. As I talked about with uh, finding Alolan Diglets in Pokemon Sword and Shield on the Isle of Armor, (laughs) it's it's very much in the spirit of finding Koroks in Breath of the Wild. Would not surprise me if it was directly inspired by that, and this is going to be a thing in a lot of Nintendo games going forward, is just finding (laughs) these, these little things hidden in the environment that power you up the more of them you find but i especially like because when you're in combat that circle arena that you fight in is surrounded by stadium seating and the more toads you have the more full that stadium seating is and this is actually a callback to the thousand year door because it had the same thing the combat in that game was set in a theater and you had a toad audience watching you and like the better you performed like they would support and cheer for you and they would throw things at, at your enemies if they didn't like them or they would throw mushrooms at you it's the same kind of idea uh, but you can also spend up to a thousand coins to get your toad supporters to come in and attack enemies and they might solve the puzzle for you or they might give you a healing item mm. it's a pretty fun idea of all the things in this game this is the one i'm most enthusiastic about so i think that pretty much covers the the early part where we are and um, the exploration I, I do get a sense that you'll get reasons to return to old areas and there's a puzzle that i could not find the solution to so i assume i'm going to come back later when i've got a new ability or something seems seems like it's got it's got enough for me to find enjoyment in in the exploration and the combat so far seems fun enough it's just that confetti filling the the not bottomless holes thing which is is my only concern so far obviously not final thoughts uh, andrew you were apprehensive because you were such a huge thousand year door fan 
step in the right direction but not blowing you away so far is the impression i'm getting yeah for the most part like i i had already resigned myself to this not being the successor to the thousand year door because i think if it was they would have been much more upfront about that in the marketing for it like this is more like the thousand mm-hmm. year door it's what you people wanted now stop yelling at us please this is further refinement on what they've been doing since sticker star and color splash I don't hate it yet, but, you know, I got to say I was enjoying myself, you know, in as much as, you know, that's not a profound thing to say that I enjoyed myself. I enjoyed the first half of Color Splash, too. So, like, there's still plenty of time for me to turn on this game. Uh, (laughs) But uh, early impressions are maybe they finally got it right with this new style of Paper Mario they've been insisting on doing, even though absolutely nobody wanted it, and almost everybody who says anything about it is like, we don't like it. They want to do their own thing, that's great, you know, maybe someday they'll they'll finally get a five-star game out of it, and Bug Fables came out this year, so I, I can't complain too much. <laughs> if they're not going to make this the RPG, at least, you know, continue Mario and Luigi in some form, because I, I really like that series. Yeah, for, so for me, I... With, with no history. I like it a lot so far. Um, I talk about BT and Nintendo a lot on this show, talking about things like Yoshi's Crafted World and that last Kirby game that came out, whose name escapes me at the moment, Star Allies. Th- those are enjoyable games, but not great games. So far, I feel like I'm enjoying this a lot more than I did those games, even though I came out quite positive on those. I, f- I feel like this is going to be one that ends up better than average for me, but I'm like he's like you just said, there's plenty plenty of room for it to turn and take a nosedive at some point. Tori, how are you on this one at the moment? Yeah, well, I agree with Andrew. This feels like a refinement on this sort of new era of Paper Mario. It's meeting expectations. You'd hope that it would exceed expectations because it is a Nintendo game. It's the first party property, but it's pretty much everything that I expected. And that's fine, I guess. Just want a little bit more. I, I can't feel that this would have been like their main announcement for the year at all. There must there must be something else that we're waiting on. God, I hope so. <laughs> yeah, it was probably something that was supposed to be announced at E3, because Nintendo still mm-hmm. does E3, even though none of the other publishers seem to care anymore. But uh, yeah, E3 yep. didn't happen. So I, I'm sure there's something due out in fall. We, we haven't got our yearly Zelda game <laughs> yet. So. Yeah, if it's Breath of the Wild 2, I am going to explode. You will be able to hear me, me like both of you. Like, I'm not talking about over the internet. You will hear a distant sound, and they'll go, oh, Andrew just exploded. Breath of the Wild 2 must be coming out. <laughs> uh, that, I think that getting announced would finally give me the kick to go back and do the DLC and start the Master Quest version. Man, why haven't I gone back to that? Because you're a terrible, terrible person. It's because of all the other stuff. It's because of literally everything else, and now we're in that phase where we're like, oh, there's not enough coming out, and now's the perfect time, really. Thanks, COVID, I guess. Of course, we'll update everyone with our continuing views on that as we as we all progress in the coming weeks. So yeah, I think that's it for this episode. Andrew, what are you playing this week? I'm going to carry on with Paper Mario and the Origami King, and there's a retro platformer that looked really really cool it's called panzer paladin uh it's about an android in a suit of powered armor because that's redundant uh who fights demons and steals (laughs) their weapons and uses them to kill more demons (laughs) and it's supposed to be some kind of weapon customization system it looked really cool uh 
I've, I've been excited for this one. Nice. And Tori? Uh, well, yeah, Paper Mario. But also Super Liminal, which is like a perspective-based puzzle game. It's quite interesting. Yeah, that looks really interesting and trippy. I wish listed it, but I don't want to pay that for it just yet. Oh, it was on sale. <laughs> ah, I, I think just because Paper Mario was coming, I, I thought twice about it. That's fair. And sometimes a lot of these games are, I'm like, that's interesting, but I'm not willing to pay the money for it. They, they appear on Game Pass, which I am paying money for. Uh, yeah. So that happens quite a lot with indies. I, I don't know if it's on Xbox, but... Yeah, it definitely looks interesting. Yeah. I'm keen to hear your thoughts on that one. Thanks for listening to this episode of Enfocus. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review on iTunes. It really helps us get noticed. You can also listen and subscribe on Stitcher, Spotify, and other podcast services. Make sure to check out our sister shows, PlayState and Power of X. That's a PlayStation-based podcast and an Xbox-based podcast. Be sure to join our Discord server to interact with the lively GamePodula community and follow us on Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, and at GamePodula.com for updates, news, and other content. Links are in the show notes. If you'd like to support our shows, you can buy us a coffee or become a GamePodula Patreon. The details for both of these are on our website. Thanks in advance. This episode was edited by Andrew. You can follow him at Play critically on twitter and andy our host at flame roast toast and myself at stew2 s-t-w-t-w-o your death.